Good morning, everybody. Uh, Nick and Brenda and Tim and Bobby and Brandon and Bill, thank you for this morning. Um, Bill, what were you playing over here? That was an interesting, it looked like a steel guitar, but it was a, looked like a real guitar. What's it called? A lap steel guitar. Well, that sounded great. I thought we were going to have a holy hoe down here for a moment. We were going to get out some hay and sawdust, but um, thank you guys so much. I needed that today. I, I'm so grateful for that moment. Um, I don't know if you guys feel it, but our lives are busy, and we go, and I need that one moment just to settle and find peace. Uh, we are uh, on a journey. We're going to go through the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew, and I believe with all my heart that each of us can find something meaningful each week. I'm just going to take a couple lines in this, and I just want us to have these open hearts, perhaps, to how God could speak to us in a gymnasium uh, on a Sunday, um, surrounded with all the other things that are going on in our lives. How could these ancient words speak life and energy and goodness to us? Because I believe they can. Okay. Matthew chapter 5. Uh, this is, by the way, we're calling this Imaginarium because one of the things that I think Jesus gives us here, he gives us a way that we can imagine a better world, a better life. And, but here's the thing. This imagining this better life and this better world that Jesus gives us here, it's not something that we have to work up to trust and believe in. Um, I don't know if you've ever been handed that in faith. Someone told you, hey, this is the truth, now, now go believe it. And you weren't quite certain that it was true, or you, know, you just didn't have any life experience to be able to go, oh yeah, I, I think I understand what they're talking about. Jesus does something completely different here. He doesn't give us something that's so high and lofty that it doesn't resonate at a deep place of our soul and our being. So I think when, when, for me, when I read these texts and when people like us read them in community, I think they speak to something that's true deep within that we go, yes, that is true. Now, what is also true is that we may find that in a lot of ways we're not experiencing it to the degree that we would hope, but there's something deep down in the end that says it's true. I heard someone say that truth is like a lion, all right? You don't have to defend a lion. You just set it free and it defends itself. Well, I find these three chapters, like there's no defending. If we just open our hearts to the truth of them, um, I think deep down inside we go, yes, yes. Now, how can my heart grow in these things a little more? So uh, I'm just going to read some of these, and then uh, I'm going to just give you a little background on maybe what that text is saying, and then some highlights of how we might think of some of these passages. Now, there's this beautiful rhythm and flow um, to this chapter uh, 5 of Matthew, and it's called the Beatitudes. Many of you have probably heard that before. But I just want to begin reading it. And the first four, I want to tell you this, the rhythm and flow that is this, this is how God meets us as human beings, these first four Beatitudes, when we're hurting or where we're struggling. So these first four about God's presence somehow finding our lives when we need it the most. And the second four, which we're not going to cover today, we'll cover them the next time we meet, are about how we come to the world and how we come to others. So there is this kind of neat flow to them. So today I want to just focus on these first four. But let me read this to you. Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. It says, Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside 
and he sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. And these are just such beautiful words. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We were just singing that. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. These are some of the most beautiful words. And when we're not going through something, or when we can't relate to some of these, maybe they don't sound so beautiful. Maybe they just sound like words written in red in a Bible, or maybe they just sound like poetic words. But when we need it, these words, in a way, make us alive, and they help us experience God's presence. Now, here's, here's just the truth. Um, these are, in, a, in some ways, are hard to comprehend. How does someone mourning, you know, find comfort? By the way, let me give you a little background on this word. This word comes out of the Greek, and it's markarios, um, because Jesus didn't speak in Greek, but that's how it was translated. Jesus actually spoke Aramaic. So when they translate this word blessed, it's this Greek word markarios, and it means simply this. It's fortunate or happy, fortunate or happy. I don't like the word happy, and, um, and Greek isn't perfect in translating things, so that's why you know, scholars and, and people who study the Bible, they try to understand just the different nuances of these words because does it make sense to read it like this? Uh, happy are those who mourn. No, of course it doesn't. But this word means something a little bit in between. So let me show you. what This is what uh, someone said about this word. It says, it's a blessing that comes not because a condition cited, but precisely in spite of it. It's like someone can, can mourn, and in spite of that mourning, there could be this sense of God's presence in it. But it goes on to say, it may take our breath away to say it, but blessedness is possible to all now. Regardless of what the situation may be, that was the hope of Jesus' gospel. So the hope is this, and we have to read this in context. There was a whole group of people that Jesus is speaking this to, and you know what they were told? That they weren't worthy of God's presence. That because they weren't doing certain things or they weren't living what the religious leaders of the day had said that they were supposed to live, that somehow they were outside of God's presence. And so Jesus comes and he's saying, I know you guys feel these things. You feel this being poor in spirit. You feel this mourning. And uh, some of you feel me because you feel like the powerful are the ones that are dominating. They're the ones that are controlling everything. And he says, but I want you to know, even though the whole world around you says that you're not worthy of God's presence, I'm telling you, you're exactly where God is. And so this is just unbelievable news for people. In fact, it says it was the good news of the kingdom that Jesus was preaching. Why was it good news? It's because these people thought somehow they were on the outside, and they couldn't have this kind of blessedness. So what is this? This is the promise of divine presence in our lives. It's, that's the blessing of these Beatitudes, because in that day, the religious system excluded a whole lot of people, and it was the majority of people it only included the elite. And Jesus comes and says, no, it's not just the elite. It is all of us. That's the good news that is being taught here. So how does religion work? Maybe it works like this in our hearts sometimes. I know I've experienced this. 
How good do I have to be to earn God's presence or God's goodness in my life? Have you ever felt that? Like somehow when things are going wrong, when you're at your worst, the thing that you go to first is judgment of yourself and going, obviously, well, obviously I'm, I'm getting that because I'm, you know, I'm not worthy or I haven't done enough good things. So I want to I read some things to you um, in Matthew chapter 23. Because uh, Jesus was pretty hard on religious leaders who put themselves close to God and then judged everyone else and excluded them. And Matthew 23 is one of the harshest texts of Jesus toward teachers who were teaching people that they had to jump through all these hoops to earn God's love. And uh, chapter 23, I just want to read a couple of these to you. Uh, verse 4, I read these all the time because they're convicting to me. And on my own journey as a pastor, I read these and go, you make sure you're not doing this to people because this is working against Jesus. And so as a pastor, these have been so guiding and shaping to how I love people, how I pastor people, how I try to help guide and lead people. I want to make sure that I'm not treating people in this way. But in verse 4, um, Jesus says this. He says, um, you heap all these burdens on people, and you don't lift a finger to help them. So this is what's happening. Um, there's all these, there's these purification rituals, all these codes, all these things that people have to live up to, and they're really hard to live up to. And they're very costly for people who can't afford them. And he goes, listen, you're putting all these burdens on people, but you don't really help them. He goes on to say, woe to you, teachers. And he, called, he says, you hypocrites. He says, you shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. And you travel over land and sea to win one single convert. And when you have succeeded, you make them twice the, the child of hell that you are. Jesus calls the religious leaders of his day children of hell. Like, this is really provocative. You want to know what gets someone killed in the first century? It's making statements like this about religious people. So what is, what is Jesus doing here? He's frustrated with the fact that a religious system has made it very difficult and hindering for people to experience God's presence because of the judgment, because of the purification codes, because of the things that are expected. So the good news that they're hearing is that no matter where you're at, God is for you. And God cares about what it is that you're going. There may be some things that need to change. There may be some healing that needs to take place in your life. There may be some decisions you need to make. But we don't ever have to fear that somehow we're outside of God's love or his care or his desire for us to succeed and to thrive. That's why this is good news. Because, and what we just read from that scholar, um, I can't remember who it was, Karen. Who was the first slide? Uh, Dallas Willard. Uh, yeah. Uh, he says that this is for all people. This was the hope of Jesus' gospel. Okay, so back to the text. I just want to cover a few of these um, and give you some ways to, to think about this. And here's just something I learned along the way. Sometimes we have to challenge and test the norm. Um, I know for me, whenever you feel the pressure, hey, you can't question that or you can't challenge that or you can't have doubts about that, I find that that works against God. Whenever we're in a place where we can't ask honest questions. Um, if I have a conversation with you and I see that you're 
humble and you're honest, I have great hope for you. <laughs> um, because that's all I think it takes. And I can't tell you how often I experience people and I go, yeah, they're humble. Wow, they're really being honest about what they're really experiencing in life. Um, I don't worry about you. And I think sometimes we've created religious cultures where that's not welcomed. It's not invited. And I think that hurts our experience of God. But let me say this. I'll speak for me. I know it's hurt my experience of God when I couldn't question. But here's what I have learned. When you could come to something with honesty and humility, not to be a rebel, not to just undo something because you're, you, know, you don't like it, but when you come to it with honesty and humility, you go, wait a minute, I'm just trying to understand my experience and how this works out in my life and the world that I'm seeing. I find that with humility, sometimes it's good to turn something upside, upside down and shake it out a little bit and go, wow, is this really true? Like, how's this work out in life? There's so many things that this is a mystery that we're never going to be answered, which is a whole lot that we can work out. So maybe if you're here, and you felt the burden of that, can I just say that the good news of Jesus for you and me is that we can be free from that. We can explore these things and ask for wisdom and with humility and honesty, see how these things can be lived out in our life. So let's, let's just talk about a couple of these and then we'll, we'll be done for today. The first one is poor in spirit. Um, have you ever been to this place in life where you just have felt empty, poured out, um, you know, like you've done the absolute best you can do and you just have nothing left. Um, I'll just be honest with you. The Sunday that we don't meet is one of those days for me where I feel poor in spirit. You want to know why? Because I wake up and the first thing that I do on those Sunday mornings is go, what am I not doing enough of? Why can't we be meeting weekly? You know, and it all falls on me. And every Sunday morning is an exercise in waking up of being poor in spirit, because I'm reminded of that. Now, I'm growing. I don't stay there, but I'm just being honest. That's what I experience, and it just all comes on me. And it's like, but God, I've, I've done everything I know to do. If there's something that I don't know to do, then please guide me, teach me, help me understand how I could be better at this. But there is just this sense of like, no, I've, I've emptied everything I know to empty, and I'm dependent upon more than just me. And this group of people are dependent upon just more than me. But if I'm being honest, that's a moment for me of being poor in spirit. And so even though I might feel that, what I have to do, and I'm intentional about this, but I also have to open up, but wait a minute, God, you're with me. Because you, I, this kingdom's for me too. And so I don't know what that experience might be for you. Maybe it's you've been depleted in some way. Or uh, this, these words in here, it's God saying to me, I know you feel that, but I'm still here with you. And I just find those to be so comforting. Now, I don't always immediately experience that, but I'm trying to bounce my life with this trust of what I know and what I experience and with, oh, but I belong to the one that's given me this life. And so that can give me comfort. But there is this reality breaking into the world that you and I live in. Maybe when we're even in this place of feeling poor in spirit, through Jesus that is abundant and full, and this feeling of being poor in spirit does not exempt us from experiencing God's presence. So this is meaningful. Maybe you could say it like this. Maybe poor in spirit could be for some of us like this. Blessed are those who don't have it all together. You ever felt that? Yeah, me too. 
Blessed are those who have run out of strength, ideas, willpower, resolve, and energy. Has anyone in this room ever felt like that? Yeah. If you're human, you have. Um, Blessed are those who ache because of how severely out of whack the world is. Yesterday, the shooting that happened in Buffalo just went right to my heart again. And I'm just reminded of, like, this world is not right. Um, That's a moment of aching in the heart and feeling poor in spirit. Blessed are those who stumble, trip, and fall in the same place again and again. If that is you, God's with you. And don't close off to that. Okay, one, one more slide here, Karen. Blessed are those who on a regular basis have a dark day in which despair seems to be a step behind them wherever they go. And here is the good news for all of us. If any of those relate to you, blessed are you, for God meets you in that place in the same way God meets me in that place. So maybe for some of us it's just, I want to open my heart to that. I may not be experiencing, but if it's really possible, I'm open. So show me you're present with me. Okay. Um, The next one is this. It's those who mourn. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And by the way, I heard someone talk about grief in this way. Grief is, it's this. It's the end of any normal pattern in your life. And um, I was uh, uh, the care pastor at a large church, and so one of my responsibilities was when someone called and needed to talk with a pastor, they got me. And I would say, hello, come on in and see me. And so they'd come in. And I can't tell you, uh, you know, days just, you know, six, seven, eight people coming in sharing the story of something that they are grieving or mourning. And it was fascinating to me how you could often trace back pain in people's lives to some unresolved grief in their life. So here's what I want to do. It's not just the loss of someone that you love. It could be lots of things. It could be a loss of a dream, a future that you were hoping. By the way, I grieve all the time. Like, I had a vision of how this whole thing was going to go. Well, along the journey, you got to kind of, it doesn't go exactly the way you hope. So you got to kind of die to that. But there, there are just these ways that we, we grieve and we mourn. So it could be a loved one. It could be a relationship that you lost or a relationship that you're hoping would be different. And it's just not everything that you had hoped it would be. It could be a, a loss of a job. But I want to say this. Sometimes to mourn is the absolute best thing to do. And now we're finding out, you know, when, when people, when you have tears, you've probably heard this say, people say this before, but there's salt in your tears. But you know what they're finding now? There's actually toxins released in your tears, stress toxins. So uh, I don't know what your experience with tears are, but if you are afraid to cry, you might be missing out on something that is very, very helpful to the experience of God in our lives. When I was a little boy, my, my father died. I was about 12 years old. My mom's here this morning. By the way, her last Sunday with us, she's going down to visit my sister, so it's been so great to have her with us. But um, I learned from my mom, I watched her cry. I went, well, maybe there's something to that, you know? And so I remember I would go in my bedroom and I'd shut the door and I would just cry. Had no idea what I was doing, but I remember just, just crying. And inevitably, I can look back on it now and I always felt some kind of comfort in those tears. I had... I had no way of understanding that, but now as I got an adult, an adult and I've learned to practice this a little more, sometimes tears are the absolute best response to what you're feeling. 
Because no words are going to help. Some are going, hey, just cheer up. Can you? Hey, it's not so bad. It does not help. Sometimes we just need to shut the door and cry some holy, sacred tears and find that God somehow is cleansing us through those tears. And that it's like holy water washing over us, and he can be present with us in some way. A good biblical word for that is lament. It's a human word, too. We don't hear it taught a whole lot. But I think it's the best response to a broken world. Lament, tears. So, so think about that. Um, tears help us process loss so we could do this, so we keep living with an open heart. I can't tell you how tears have not only cleansed me, but in the midst of pain, because we have this instinct as human beings when there's pain, what do we want to do? Close up. And I found tears as they wash over our faces. They're washing over our hearts in some beautiful way too that just keep them tender enough that they could stay open. Because here's the thing, if you close that off to pain, you're closing it off to the experience of God too. And I want to tell you this, the experience uh, that you need of love and God's presence and experiencing that, even his love through other people, if you can keep it just a little bit open, it's going to help you get through. Okay, enough on mourning. Um, we, I got a lot of work to do on that. Blessed are the meek. And it says here, for they will inherit the earth. And here's just the thing I want you to think about meekness. Because like me, we feel like, perhaps you guys feel like you have to earn so many things. Like, life isn't a gift. Like, you get what you put effort into. And yes, there, there are things, resources, things we've been given that we are to use for, for life to happen for us. But no, I'm just talking at a deeper place, a sense of, like, life is a gift. And the best parts of life aren't always things that you give to yourself. I think that's what this meekness could be speaking to. So here, I want to I read this to you. Um, Maybe we could think about it this, this way, meekness. And we could be teaching in a lot of different ways. But what if meekness is this? Blessed are the flexible. Blessed are those who are strong enough to bend and who have softened what is rigid within. Just think about that for a moment. Maybe meekness is just being a little softer. Um, I find myself all the time with just harsh judgments harsh words and a desire for harsh reaction and actions in the world. And what I've learned is that meekness is such a beautiful thing to practice because here's what happens when we don't live with that kind of flexibility in our lives. Uh, We screw up lots of things and we create messes that are much more difficult to undo. What if we were just more flexible in life? What if we could soften what is rigid within? I think if we would soften and work at that, we'd find Goodness coming to us, we would experience more of the good things that life has to offer. So stay open to that. You don't have to waste your time when you are more flexible, cleaning up and repairing the damage that has been done by not being flexible. So maybe that's what meekness is speaking to us. Okay, last one here, and then we're going to go and try to see how we can practice this. Because you're going to get in your cars, right? And you're going to have a conversation or have a conversation or go to a restaurant and someone's going to cut you off somewhere. So, like, these things have to be practiced in the real world. So, this is the beginning. This is not the end. This isn't the final word. The final word is how we experience this in our day-to-day lives. But we're going to learn this together and we're going to try to practice it together. Okay. 
Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Now, I know this can conjure up all the things that we talked about at the beginning, that, you know, uh, righteousness and goodness, all these things, but that's, that's not how I want us to think about it today. I want you to think about it in this way. What if it's just that ache within us for the parts of our lives and even these inner lives and, and our outer lives that aren't right or the world that isn't right? What if that ache for those things to be right, what if that's the righteousness that these scriptures are talking about? I think we all can identify with that. The, 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 you know, that experience of our lives that we're suffering with or there's pain from or we look out in the world and go, that, that's just not right. I think that is perhaps what these scriptures are speaking to. And essentially, it's this, it's saying, it's God saying, trust me, that if you will open your heart to this kind of righteousness and, and hunger and thirst for it, it'll be the absolute best thing for you. Now, how many of you have gone to the grocery store hungry? Anybody? Yeah, is that, is that not a bad idea? Uh, how many find yourself buying, you know, they put the donuts and all the cookie stuff like right up front. And before you, you know, you know you should be eating something good, but you find your bin full with like things that you sh- should not be in there. Don't, yeah, we, we all have had that experience. We know now don't go to the grocery store because if you do, you're probably gonna come home with a lot of junk, all right? Well, um, I have this experience with Debbie. Uh, I work upstairs. We have like a bonus room and that's my office. And so at about 4.30, I start getting hungry and I come down from my office and this is clockwork, Monday through Friday, every day. My mom can attest this. I come down and I go, when are we eating? And usually it's around 5, 5.30. So it's usually say 30 minutes or 40 minutes. And so, but I'm hungry. And so I want to tell you what works against my, this is a, a metaphor, so don't take this literally, but what works against me filling my life with things that aren't counterfeit nutritious for my body. I want to show you, Karen, if you put that up. These are peanut butter pretzels. Um, from Costco's. Now, I don't know if anyone has ever gotten these, but, and then uh, Carrington, she had bees at her schoolhouse, and so this is honey, local honey here, and I would take some out of honey and put that on, put it on those pretzels. But anyways, every day I come down, and I ask Debbie, and it's usually going to be 30 minutes to an hour, and I have a choice to make. Do I give myself something just to hold me off? And so I pace back and forth for about two or three minutes, and what do I do? I open up our cupboard, and I pull out those pretzels, and I start with five. Just five pretzels, and I close it up, and I walk away, and I have those pretzels eaten before I get back upstairs. I walk back down, I get about five more, and then I add a a glass of milk with it, because nothing goes better with peanut butter than than a glass of milk. But this is my experience every day, and I got to tell you, um, when we do get to the meal often, I have filled myself up with peanut butter pretzels, and I don't even enjoy the meal like I should. Now, why am I telling you that? Because our spiritual lives work in the very same way. It's like, it's nothing really horrible about peanut butter pretzels. Actually, they're really good, and they're good for you. But we fill our lives, friends, with so many different things that is counterfeit, that robs us of hungering and thirst for the kind of righteousness that the Bible teaches us. And so I'm just saying this. On this journey of going through this text, um, we're going to have, we don't have to wonder what is the blessed life. We're going to see it clearly through this text. Um, but what we're going to have to decide is what are we filling our lives with that's robbing us of this, all this goodness. And it, it doesn't necessarily have to be something that's evil or bad. Peanut butter pretzels are not evil. 
Um, yeah, so, and maybe it is something. Maybe it is something that's destructive. But can we do this? Can we just allow God to speak to our hearts? And maybe it's one small thing that's in an adjustment that can lead to a more nutritious kind of life and world around us. I think that's what we're being invited to. Okay, I want to leave you with this. Um, this is because with blessing, and we'll get into more of this next week, um, first know God is with you. You're not alone. And if you do feel alone, sometimes we need each other to be a reminder. And you remember I was telling you guys on the Sunday we don't meet, um, that's a day I feel poor in spirit and I have to really live this out. But when I'm here with you on the Sunday, I don't even think about it because you are reflecting back to me God's blessing because you're here on a Sunday. And I didn't think this was possible. I didn't think you could meet every other week and people would still come. But you do. And thank you. So if you need to hear that today, whatever it is that you're going through, you're not alone. If you need somebody to go through that, will you please call me? I love to witness and journey with people and just be a small reminder, just have an inkling of what they're going through so you can know that God is with you. But then once we realize that, we have a responsibility. And we'll pick this up next week. But this scholar, A.G. Levine, she says this, when we hear that we are blessed, we should hear as well a sense of responsibility. And this is true for Christians. And that was what Jesus was teaching his disciples. We can leave the Beatitudes blessed are ringing in our ears. But perhaps a better exercise is to continue the pattern and develop our own. Pause here just for a moment. Did he just say that? Like you're going to take the Holy Scripture and go, we can expand on it? Yes, I think that's the invitation in this. That it's not just a list of eight things or nine things, but it's a list that can begin to guide us. And then we can begin to see how this plays out in our lives. Maybe we should be creating our own ways of experiencing blessing and bringing blessing to the world around us. So I'm going to give you one as you go today. Blessed are those who can sing of God asking, whom shall I send? And can respond, it is I, Lord. I have heard you calling. If you just open your heart to that, God, are you, are you wanting me to be more of a blessing to the world around me? How can I grow? How can I find your blessing at work in my life in such a way that it would be more evident to those around me. This is what it means to engage with these texts. This is what it means to follow these scriptures. Would you please stand with me? Um, a couple things that are coming up before I just speak a word of benediction over us. Uh, this last week, I got a phone call from Crosspoint and they said, hey, we have a $3,000 baptismal, portable baptismal tub, tub. Would you, we want to give it to you. Would you, could you use it? And I went, yes. $3,000, yes. And so um, we were given this last week a baptismal tub. And so I'm working on right now, I would like either in the middle of this or toward the end of this, I would like to invite anybody, any of us here in this room that have never been baptized in, to be baptized. And we'll talk more about that. But I actually think these texts invite us into the kind of life that maybe this is the right moment to, if you've never been baptized to, to go, ah, that's the life I want. Because that's what baptism is. It's going, I'm immersing myself into this kind of life and world that Jesus says is true for me.
and true for others. So uh, that's coming up. Um, another thing we're working on, maybe getting together on one of our off Sundays for like a church in the morning, like at a picnic area and just hanging out and eating some food. We just haven't had a chance to do that. So those are a couple things that, that are coming up. But um, my brothers and sisters and my friends, may you find in these Beatitudes hope. Wherever you may be in this moment, um, if hope is something that is evading you right now, may hope arrive through the readings of these scriptures. May we find a way forward in our pain through these texts because often we numb our pain and we don't really deal with it. And this text is inviting us, let's be honest about that and let's find a way forward. And may we all, in opening our hearts to the blessing that Jesus says is the good news for everyone, every one of us here, no matter what your circumstance or your situation is, May we, at, simultaneously at the same time, may we open up to that flowing into our lives and may, may we find the most beautiful ways for that best blessing to flow out from our lives so that this world can be better, our lives could be better, and we could all know the better world that our hearts and our lives know are true. Grace and peace. I love you all. Amen.